I'm R.J. Bell with the sports betting headlines for Tuesday. Kansas City wins and covers. New England played them tough. Minus three in turnovers. Man, if you had New England, tough beat for sure, but you can't win in the NFL without a quarterback. Green Bay crushes the wise guys. Wait, Atlanta they crushed, but they crushed the wise guys. They were all on Atlanta, all against Green Bay, and they lose again, fading Aaron Rodgers. Tonight, game four, NBA Finals. Lakers up 2-1. Lakers in this game favored by seven, and Vegas says over a 90% chance to win the title. Here comes a full hour of all that and more The Vegas Truth. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 This is Straight Out of Vegas. With the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it. I'm R.J. live in Las Vegas, live on a Tuesday, live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. Fez with a day off. Oh, he was... Tired, eyes looking wrinkly. He'll be back tomorrow, ready to go. He calls it a study day. Uh, I think that's pretty generous. I'm going to say, I'm going to call that a generous description, sitting by the pool in the mansion. Not by a pool, not in a mansion. He's a Joe, not a pro, but we love him. Jonas Knox. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which we've got a bunch of playoff baseball that we can get into. We've got an NBA Finals Game 4 tipping off later on tonight. What is the Vegas lead here on this Tuesday? You know, if we talk playoff baseball, Jonas, <laughs> you're in the lead there. You know what we're going to do? Let's do this. Bottom of the hour, I'm gonna, we're going to do um, four minutes of Jonas and baseball. No, you up please, for that? No, no. This, that'll be the worst Three four minutes, minutes we've ever done. Two I, minutes? I, 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 All right. I, we need one baseball story <laughs> at the bottom of the hour. Can you do that? I'll, I'll work something up. All right. <laughs> we're going to lead, though, Vegas style with Monday Night Football. And I think Kansas City, New England, we start, then go to Green Bay. Yeah, it was no Cam Newton for the New England Patriots, and it showed Kansas City 26-10 to a win last night on Monday Night Football, the first of two games on Monday Night Football. Kansas City has played four games. They're 4-0, and right? So here's the question. What games have they impressed? So week one, I thought it was, you know, remember the opening Thursday game? I thought it was mighty impressive, to be honest with you. They handled Houston, it seems, in a workmanlike fashion. But this is a Houston team that's now 0-4, that's fired the coach. So you can look back in hindsight and say, eh, not that impressive. And obviously against the Chargers, they could have easily lost that game. And you could make the case, nah, not so impressive. And that's kind of why that Kansas City was a three-and-a-half-point underdog last Monday night with COVID, no fans or limited fans. You know, home field's more towards two, maybe even a little less at this point. So it was saying Baltimore is clearly the better team. Well, Kansas City dominated maybe the best performance of any team this year. 
And then last night, though they covered the spread, I would make the statement, I would say strongly, that Kansas City didn't seem all that impressive. First, let's check that premise. How impressive, Jonas, do you think Kansas City was? Uh, I was not impressed with Kansas City. I actually came away from that game, even though they lost and they had a bunch of turnovers, which we're going to get into. I was more impressed with New England because I think with Cam Newton at quarterback and not the turnovers, that's a completely different game we're recapping today. Yeah, minus three in turnovers. Uh, Hoyer with a pick. Hoyer with a strip sack in which he gave up the ball. And Stidham comes in. I think he's now 40% of his passes are interceptions. Uh, that, that might be a little high, but, but still, not, not good, as Chevy Chase would say. And also, just off to the side, you've got to give Belichick, you know, elephant uh, fortitude, we'll call it. Yeah. And, and here's why. Imagine the negotiation hmm, evolution, the life cycle of the cam negotiations, meaning at a certain point, Carolina releases them. Then his agent, they look around and it's like, okay, who wants him? He wants uh, 25 million probably. I'm guessing there, but he wanted a nice number. And pass, 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 everyone passes. And it's like, all right, at some point it's 18 million. Pass, pass, pass. Some point keeps going down, down, down. There was a point that wasn't the minimum, pretty much, was what he signed for. I mean, get some incentives, but still, pretty much like a shockingly low number. There was a time in which they cycled around one other time, right? The time before that. I don't know if it was $8 million, $9 million, but it would have been one increment higher than what the minimum he finally signed for. And you know what? 31 teams said no, but so did the Pats. Knowing what Stidham is at this point, or at least seemingly what we know, that he was the third stringer, right? Hoyer started for a reason. Mm. And when he came in, he threw two interceptions. It, how in the heck did Belichick say, oh, Cam, you, you want $8 million? Nah, too much. How did he do that? I don't know. If you just look around the NFL landscape, all the teams that you would have thought would be interested in Cam Newton – made the decision not to take him so early. And to your point, Belichick just waited it out. The Bears made a decision to go after Nick Foles really, really early, which is why now people look and go, well, gosh, you could have had you know, Cam Newton. It would have cost you a lot less, and you wouldn't have to give up the draft pick for it. I mean, even Dallas, looking for a backup quarterback, went out and got Andy, Andy Dalton. Yeah, Wait, that was uh, a good backup, though. I, I mean, that, that's, that's fine, but Cam Newton was also available, and that was one of the other guys that people were looking at saying, so why would they sign Andy Dalton if Cam Newton wasn't available? And I don't know if the health and the concerns about whether or not he could come back, even Washington. Washington and Ron Rivera made the decision to, to, to swap for Kyle Allen, they could have had Cam Newton as well, too. And, and Ron Rivera knows Cam Newton better than anybody because he coached him for so long. It's bizarre. Wow, there you and, go. Yeah, I mean, so so either Belichick got really, really lucky or he ran, read the landscape of the NFL and said, nobody's going to sign this guy. I'll just wait it out. Yeah, see, I'm actually of a different mind when it comes to the other teams because what the talking heads say is they'll go, well, you know, if you got a quarterback that can't stand having a celebrity backup, then he's not an NFL-caliber quarterback anyway. And I think there's some truth to that, but I also think this. The, the goal of the GM 
isn't necessarily to cultivate an NFL caliber quarterback. The goal of the GM is to keep his job. So if he has invested in a quarterback where it's like, me and you, baby, if you're good, I'm good. If you're gone, I'm probably gone, which is the case oftentimes with those high draft choices, right? The GM's pretty much tenure with the team is tied to that quarterback. You want to do whatever you can to max his chances. So I'm not saying that's exactly the case with Trubisky. I don't understand the dynamics of the GM there and and the ownership, but let's say it's generally the case. Then for him, yeah, Cam, I think any reasonable person would have thought, he has a higher potential right now than Trubisky, and he has a higher potential than Nick Foles. I think even before the season, that was generally something I believe the most people that were you know bright about the NFL believes. Yeah, I would say so, yeah. So here's the question. Is if Cam came in, was disruptive, just through being a celebrity, just being the, the presence he is, the physical presence. They say that when you see him, it's like, oh my gosh, this guy's a quarterback? You know, even the NFL guys do that, which, you know, tells you something is I don't know. Now, if somehow he played great cam for a team for Chicago, let's say, and then resigned long term contract and played great, then fine. The GM gets credit. But there's a real chance cam would have came in for one year, played really well, disrupted potentially Trubisky's path and then leave. And now where's the GM? So in a weird way. The misaligned interest we talk about all the time is what is the interest of the GM? What is the interest of the team? Sometimes they're not aligned. And I think Cam Newton, and I'll let you you know, respond here. I think Cam Newton's a perfect example that in very few cases was Cam a good thing for the GM, even if it would have been a good thing for the team. Yeah, and and you and you look around the NFL and look at the different situations. I mean, the Raiders went out and gave Marcus Mariota what thirteen million dollars. I think he got a two-year deal for like seven and change. Or more than Cam like for sure. Yeah, a hundred percent, seven times more than Cam. I think if you break down the annual salary, and that too was also a situation where if maybe you bring in a guy like Cam Newton. Derek Carr, who's already got enough pressure and already feeling, you know, a little bit of the heat. Marcus Mariota maybe made more sense to them from a personality standpoint and, and just a name standpoint because Derek Carr wouldn't have felt threatened. But then you go to a team like Jacksonville. I mean, why did Jacksonville not even kick the tires and take a look at this? Like Jacksonville didn't even, from what I've heard, they didn't even really consider it when it came wow. to Cam Newton. I to mean, me, Joe, to, uh, to me, that's why I actually was kind of with Fez on them tanking because I've never seen, I've said this once or twice, I've never seen a team with a quarterback as modestly pedigreed, that's code for with no success behind him, right, that didn't have a competitive camp. Like you will see a quarterback as bad as Minshew start, but typically, and you'll see, and maybe the better way to say it will be uh, part of pedigree, is being a high draft choice. I know it doesn't prove anything, but it does clear the way. You know, Washington had to give Haskins every opportunity because they have such equity in the pick. Yeah. But to have a six-round pick with Minshew, be in his second year and not have a competitive camp, to literally seemingly try not to have a competitive camp with Glennon, right, is, to me, I've never seen that before. And it was very suspicious. You know what I think about Jacksonville now after losing with them this weekend? I think it's just we can't, we can't forget this coaching staff was on the way out. Yeah. And, and somehow uh, when Coughlin got 
thrown out. It kind of they decided to keep this staff. This staff has not been good, and to some degree, I think they got good young players, or you know, at least burgeoning potentially good young players. But man, oh man, obviously it was a toxic environment. Everyone wants out of there now. How much of that was Coughlin in Jacksonville? How much the current staff? How much? Who knows? But boy, oh boy, I think that Jacksonville's trying hard. I just don't think they have a super competent staff right now. But it looked like, and maybe that looked like they were tanking. But they thought, you know, we're trying our best, buddy. <laughs> I've always, I've always been of the belief that NFL teams, it's not that they tank. Their front offices just don't put them in the best position to succeed. Well, when that, you that's see, what I put it. when you see Fezzik do anything athletic, <laughs> you think he's tanking, right? But he's trying. <laughs> All right, let's let's do this. But I guess to wrap on the New England KC side, I do think that it's amazing how one game in that Monday night game last week can just put the sense that you can't mess with KC. I mean, they are the best. And I think they may be the best team. In fact, I think they are. But you really think about it. If you graded this team on a scale of 1 to 100, 50 being an average performance for them, not for the league, but for them, you could make the case that every game except Baltimore was a slightly below average, if not more so, performance. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, no, I would agree. And I also think, going to New England, the fact that Belichick knew what he had in Stidham because I'm a big believer that the teams internally know things we don't. That's obvious. And I think what people don't see as clearly is their actions are communications to us. They're telling us what they believe. By not signing Cam at one contract higher when he went around the league and said, do you want me? Do you want me? Do you want me? That to me is incomprehensible. And maybe that's why Belichick's a genius. Or maybe, maybe Colin was right that 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 uh, Belichick had kind of accepted this was going to be a really down year, and then Cam came along and he said, "You know, I can't turn this down." And here we are. <laughs> it's got it's kind of an, in a weird way. It actually is similar to them drafting Brady. They get credit for finding the greatest quarterback of all time, a near pick number two hundred in the draft. But they also passed on him like four or five times. Well, just like Baltimore traded back in the first round with Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. I mean, this is all – and this goes into sports batters, professionals, bet numbers, not teams. Same thing in any economic endeavor. It's all about the – oh, this is the 30th pick or the 32nd? We'll take him there. Oh, it's the 23rd? No, we're not ready to take him. But he's an MVP. Hey, you don't know that, right? It's like saying, how much would you pay for a lottery ticket if you knew it was going to win? Well, mighty high. you don't know it's going to win, but you're taking a calculated risk. And by the way, Jonas, you may or may not know. Well, you're married, so you know this. All a life is a calculated risk. <laughs> yeah, I'm finding right. that out. <laughs> Let's take our first break. When we come back, two things. One, we're going to talk about Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. But number two, I have a shocking stat. Which team do you think has led this season the least? When I tell you, you're not going to believe it. He's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I'm RJ Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. Coming up here in just a couple of moments, we will take a look at the second of two games on Monday Night Football. 
So, Jonas, you're in a band, right? Yeah. What kind of like what what rock band or what band would be comparable? Uh, Deftones, um, Corn. Oh, so this is this is heavy stuff. Uh, yeah, a little on the heavier side. Heavier than Zeppelin Four. Uh, different. different. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure of that. And not and not nearly as good. Eddie Van Halen. (laughs) Eddie Van Halen, pound for pound, maybe the greatest ever. See, that's funny. I so did. I mean, again, let's pay respects as we do, but. When I was growing up, it, there was that certain Van Halen contingent, right? So I graduated high school in uh, 88. So, you know, grew up in the 80s. And I had the mullet business in the front. Oh, it, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Alex P. Keaton in the front. Um, but we, seriously, everyone I hung with, everybody, it was like, were you a Stones fan or a Zeppelin fan? And it was like, it was 10 years ago or 15 years prior when they were the bands, right? But for us, it was like some time warp or something. And like bands like Motley Crue or all the contemporary rock bands, we didn't even pay attention. Like they didn't exist. It was like, this isn't Zeppelin. It's not near, you know. But Van Halen was the one contemporary band at the time that people took seriously. And I I know as a guy who understands a little bit about music, that the virtuosity on the guitar Mm -hmm. for Van Halen was amazing. Yeah. But there was such a sense in, at the time, there was a guy named Steve Vai. Uh, there was a guy named Ingve Maustein. There were these like stunt guitars. And to me, Van Halen was the best of them. But like compared to even to Keith Richards or, or Hendrix or Page, just not, it didn't feel as much like it was part of the song. It felt like it was like step off to the side and juggle. But you loved them, huh? Yeah, well, I mean, I wasn't. I'm not a huge Van Halen fan. It's just not. It's not my cup of tea. But I do respect his skill level and his talent. And regardless, it's really hard to say who the best is. Yeah. There's a lot of people who feel Prince. I, Prince is an awesome guitarist. Yeah, He's fantastic. Yeah. Hendrix, of course. Jimi Hendrix was was awesome. If you just watch him play, and then there's some other guys that are thrown in. But he's at least in the conversation. Yeah, and, I know, agree. Yeah, I mean, so. that's the consensus for sure. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, I mean, apparently, and I, I don't know, let's just say the, you know, the gossip or whatever was that he, you know, a lot of times you see, you know, the rock guys get into the drugs when they're torn, when they're young, and then they're like, you know, Mick Jagger, he's a marathon runner. He's, and then, you know, at least the conversation was Eddie never got out of it. And, you know, a very unfortunate, you think to have uh, anyone passing away obviously isn't a good thing, but it's like to think what you had to live for is just the idea of achieving that much in the yeah. many, many millions and tens of millions. And uh, huh, it's very human, human, uh, the reality of man is not easy. Sports are much easier, Janice. I mean, they're not always easy, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but we are going to be talking about Aaron Rodgers. And I'm actually going to have literally the opposite reaction is that everyone else i think pretty much everyone else i think this is an indictment it's a great day to join us this is the fastest growing show on fox sports radio the audience has doubled in the last year plus we thank you so much for the support and we promise to keep up this football season you know jonas i'm actually haven't left the house yet today and i don't know what the weather is so i'm going to throw it back to you and then when it comes back to me, I'm going to have the weather. But let's jump on to the, the Monday night game. Yeah, that's, it was uh, the Green Bay Packers who are now 4-0 undefeated on the season after a 30-16 to win over the Atlanta Falcons. I was thinking of just like saying, 
you know, like it's 96, which it probably be pretty close. <laughs> but, you know, we don't give false information here, Jonas, no matter what. Oh, my gosh, it's 96. I swear to God. Wow, there it is. See, there, I, I guess I'm a good predictor. <laughs> it's 96, and the neon is um, hmm, chugging. Yeah, it's chugging. It and, is. Uh, and, and, the, and so are the Packers after, <laughs> beating, after beating the winless Atlanta Falcons last night in Lambeau. Well, you can't forget, Jonas, there's, there's a certain segment out there that the Vegas weather report is a touchdown. You know how when there's a repetition in something you do and yeah. there's this sense of relief, like, oh, okay, I'm comfortable now? It's, <laughs> it's like that. Uh, here's the thing about Aaron Rodgers. He's kicking butt. It's obvious. He's now number one QBR on the season. I mean, he's as good as any quarterback right now. And, you know, we can talk about, well, what's the upside of my home? But on the field, right, performance, as good as anyone, maybe playing better than anyone. Okay. How can that be an indictment? Well, let's think back to his career. Obviously, we all know about he was drafted, Brett Favre. They were sick of Favre and his holdouts and his uh, ambivalence about playing. And he sat for a couple years. In practice, he was wowing everyone. And then Favre left. He came up, played really well, won the Super Bowl against the Steelers. Mendenhall fumbled. Steelers could have had that one. And there you go. All right. He's bad. He's great. All right. And then for a couple years, and by the way, McCarthy was the coach. A couple years after was all time. I mean, if you look at like a five-year period, the, the case could be made. The greatest stats in the history of football were Aaron Rodgers in that five-year period. And if stats are a representation of play, which is what they are, he was the best. You could say maybe the best quarterback to this day mm-hmm. over any five-year period was Aaron Rodgers during that period. But then, five seasons ago, there was this drastic drop-off. Like, let's look at yards per attempt. Yards per attempt is one of the key. Of all the simple stats, not indexes like QBR, but just a stat. Yards per attempt for the quarterback is probably the best. Why? Because it accounts for how much you complete the ball, but also how risky your throws are because longer ones give you more yards. So the NFL average is right around seven and a half yards per attempt. Aaron Rodgers was up at eight and a half, as high as anyone's ever been many years. Five years ago, he dropped below seven and a half and literally... Over the five years ending in 19, so ending last year, Aaron Rodgers had a below NFL average yards per attempt. After being an all-time leader, it was just, it took people a long time to see it, but he was just down. Now, he still had the wild plays now and again. He still had the escapability, but he wasn't performing near the same. Now, this year, he's right back. I mean, playing as well as he ever has. And if you listen to what everyone's saying, and I've listened close, and let me ask you, this is what I'm hearing as the consensus opinion, and you can tell me if you agree, Jonas, is, hey, he realized he was getting a little up there, that soon enough, if not now, he was disposable. That Green Bay showed him with the draft pick that he was disposable, and he didn't want to be disposable. So he made extra effort this off season, so we can say, oh, Jordan Love is the reason, but whatever the combination of reasons, it led to motivation, and that motivation showed with watching tape, better physical fitness, whatever, 
But the equation in the simplest form was there was a certain level of effort before. He had an emotional reaction and he made more effort. And because of that, he's playing this well. Almost every report I've heard of quasi-insiders, that is the general story. Would you agree that's what you've heard? Yeah, motivation. And it was Trent Dilfer who also came out and he threw the idea around of, well, you know, maybe Green Bay drafted Jordan Love to motivate Aaron Rodgers in a sense, which I don't necessarily agree with, but, you know. Yeah, fair enough. But let me ask you this then. Another way to say it would be, oh, Aaron Rodgers is trying harder. Yeah, that's fair. Isn't that an indictment? Yeah, I think, and there was, I remember looking at this a couple years ago, and this sort of actually lends to the statistics you talked about in the drop-off during that period where he was throwing the ball away a lot, um, where his interception Mm -hmm. count was really low, but he was throwing the ball away a lot, almost to the point to where he just wasn't taking chances anymore. He just, he wasn't willing to take chances. And I don't know if that was his frustration or whatever the case may be, but I remember seeing the numbers when that stuff came out and I thought, all right, either he's not happy there or he's trying to look after his stats. Well, one of the two is going on. Mm. And, and, and if that's the way, and there were some people, and, and this also came out, that he would get frustrated at some of the play calling of Mike McCarthy and he'd just throw the ball in the dirt. Yeah, and, and I think that sound, uh, sorry to jump in, that sounded like yeah. the hybrid that I've heard, which yes. is yeah. maybe some of it is not taking chances because that interception uh, number was important to him. But I think the throwaways – and that's one that he like was far ahead of anyone last year, if I recall, was him saying, I didn't like this play to start with. This play broke down. I'm not going to kill myself trying to make this stupid play work. Yeah. Is it, I, I think some of that. But remember, and when we were in production, you know, McKenzie said, well, maybe, you know, this is a sign of how good LaFleur is. And I'm like, but during those years that Aaron Rodgers was having all-time years, McCarthy was the coach. So I get they might have the relationship soured, perhaps, or it seems so, but it doesn't change it. It wasn't like, oh, incompetence at coach was the reason Aaron Rodgers wasn't playing well. Now, maybe you could make the case he was so good when he was younger that he was able to overcome it. And then as he got older and his physical skills, uh, skills deteriorated a little bit, that he couldn't overcome McCarthy's stupidity. And I'm saying it in the case of people making this case, not me. And... Thus, now LaFleur is smarter and better. And if Rodgers is able to still be great with that level coach, I don't know. That's a lot of nuance. And if that's the case, why did the drop off happen between one year and the next? It was almost like he hurt himself in some major way he never recovered from. And it was, and because he was such a great athlete, you couldn't see it as clearly, but he just was physically five or 7% less instantly. That's, or once offseason, he quit working hard. And this is the first offseason he resumed. And literally every year he's worked hard, he's been like this. And every year he worked less. And it doesn't mean he didn't work hard, right? I think even NFL players who don't try super hard work pretty hard. But relative to NFL guys, he wasn't perhaps. Because I don't see any other reason that drafting Jordan Love could make you. And, and again, we're not hearing anything else. We're hearing it's effort which means he chose to be significantly less. Aaron Rodgers chose to have five years in which his performance was significantly worse than it could have been if he just tried harder. How can anyone make that anything but an indictment? Yeah, looking back, it seems like he spent a portion of his career pouting. 
a little bit. Yeah, I yep. mean, and 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 the thing with Matt Lafleur, and he's been great. I think he's seventeen and three uh, to start off his coaching career as a head coach for the Packers, which in is the regular out- season, yeah, which is outstanding. But the thing about Lafleur is, if you remember, he was he had one year as an offensive coordinator and a play caller with Tennessee. I don't remember Tennessee being this all world offense. I I don't remember Tennessee lighting it up and all of a sudden everybody clamoring for we got to get Matt Lafleur, much like they were trying to do with Brian Billick when the Vikings were you know throwing up and down the field back in the day. I don't remember any of those yeah. conversations happening. I just I wonder if it's as simple as. Now he's got a run game. Well, I mean, I, the thing about LaFleur, I think that shows you, Jonas, that being a head coach and a coordinator are two different skill sets. And there's some guy, like Mike Tomlin's a better head coach than he would be a coordinator. Agreed. Right? And yeah. I think LaFleur seems to be that. And then you get these super technicians, and I, you know, you look at the Bears, for example, and you wonder, that guy's probably a better coordinator. Mm-hmm. Right? And then you've got the true geniuses – that's probably not the right word. You got the super talents like Belichick, who's a genius, but the other ones aren't. Andy Reid, who are technicians, but they're smart enough or good enough to be good coaches too. Though I would make the case Andy Reid, if we were doing a super team and playing against the Martians, Andy Reid's the OC. He's not the head coach. Yeah. Right? But a, a guy like um, the boy genius with the Rams – and, you know, I can think of some of the – or I would even say Shanahan. Yeah. I think that they're good head coaches, but, you know, McVay, Shanahan, I think they're better coordinators. It's just there's only a handful. Now, a guy like Zimmer is probably a better head coach. It's more are you a CEO or are you a department head? Are right. you a technician or are you an executive? And, again, Belichick is, is a genius of both, and that's why he's the genius. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Yeah, so I've always believed, if you think about it, the arbitrary nature of a game being four quarters and, you know, 60 minutes. In theory, in poker, we talk about that it's just one long game. That if you're up or down one session, it doesn't really matter. Now, in the NFL, we know for sure it matters because every 60 minutes – Every four quarters is when they say, okay, we're going to decide who's won this game. You get a win or a loss, it's binary, and you move on. But if you think about it, over the course of the season, the percentage of the time that you are leading is a great indication about how good you are. Because if you storm back at the end of a game, eh, it's kind of lucky. If you win three and a half quarters, that tells you something. Or the team that's leading the most this season, the Buffalo Bills playing great. And if you look at the begin if you look up there and look at the list, all very good teams at the top. Indy, Seattle, Baltimore, San Francisco, Rams, Green Bay, Kansas City. I mean, great teams. Tampa Bay. Now you look at the bottom, the team that's led the least this entire season. And here's the bottom. And I'm going to read them in order to the last team. Houston, Washington. Jacksonville, Giants, Jets, last Dallas Cowboys led the least. And look how bad the teams at the bottom are and look how good the teams at the top are. Wooey. All right. Last break. When we come back, we're going to talk about O'Brien. He got fired. Everyone says good riddance. I've got a stat for you. You can be they fired that guy plus a preview 
of the NBA Finals. That's coming up next. He's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. I'm RJ Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. So, RJ, we have Game 4 of the NBA Finals coming up later on tonight, a 9 Eastern time tip on ABC. The Lakers lead this series two games to one after the Heat's Game 3 win. And right now on pregame.com, L.A. is a 7-point favorite heading into this one. Yeah, this is down from 9.5 in Game Three, uh, injuries look better for Miami, but you really don't know. Uh, what's your sense of uh, what percentage of 100% we're going to get from the return players? I, I think Bam Adebayo is probably about 70%. Um, Dragic is going to try and play. I Look, that's a torn plantar fascia. I, I don't know what capacity he's he's going to look. And I almost wonder if him playing at a diminished ability, which he's clearly going to be at, is more of a detriment than it would be a help to them. Yeah. You got to give him credit. Listen, we complain when the guys aren't tough like they used to be. And I think there's some truth to that. Yeah. But you could say that they're not tough like they used to be because it was stupid to be that tough. I mean, you look at Ali, Frazier, and the thrill in manila the third fight that was the greatest fight i've ever seen you know on tape but um i didn't have to suffer with brain damage from it (laughs) but i mean it 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 doesn't take you to be all that evolved to say you know brain damage probably a little bit much for a sporting event and then when you have mikhail and you know the whole you know can't walk right over a game so to me it's the old is it uh is it pain is it discomfort or you're going to be damaged and if it's pain and discomfort you're probably making enough money to feel a little pain but damaged yeah i can see where the players don't want to do that and i i think that's right um to me it's all about the lakers and it's amazing that motivation and focus can be such a question but how do they i mean they don't lose game 3 unless they're a little lackadaisical right yeah, it looked sloppy. There was a lot of turnovers. I think LeBron and Anthony Davis had 13 or 14 turnovers. I think I think LeBron had eight turnovers himself, which is not normal. And then you had Miami was was talking a little bit after the game, almost as if this isn't just a fluke. We got one win in a series. We're still a legitimate threat in this series. So that's why I'm curious to see how the Lakers come out, because I would expect them to come out firing on all cylinders, pissed off. Which is the whole zigzag, right? Yeah. Is but it's just amazing to think. It's like imagine if a heart surgeon, like every other surgery, he was a little <laughs> bit off. I mean, it'd be like I hope he last guy died. You know, I'll probably you know. So it's kind of hard to imagine with LeBron. You know, literally, if they would have won Game Three, this one's over. You know, at least history says this one's over. It's kind of hard to believe that LeBron, you know that they came out lax. Yeah. So, um, one interesting point is Anthony Davis over under. You can bet his points twenty nine and a half. Now, McKenzie pregame dot com research set said, hey, um, Anthony Davis has the second most points per game than any player behind MJ. I I I can't believe that's true, but he's pretty good. <laughs> I'm kind of shocked at it. By the way, I got quickly an amazing stat for you here. These are the three coaches, Jonas, that have 
four or more division titles in the last five years. Bill Belichick, five out of five. Andy Reid, four out of five. Bill O'Brien, four out of five. Only three of them. One got fired yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it's cra- I, I Like you said yesterday, GM is one thing, but head coach is a different conversation. But, uh, he was a horrible GM. I think he was an above-average coach, but winning four out of five division titles with Belichick and Reed ain't enough. Straight out of Vegas is brought to you by AutoZone. AutoZone is America's number one battery destination. No matter what battery problems you're dealing with, you can find your battery solution at AutoZone. Next time you're having starting trouble, start at AutoZone, America's number one battery destination. Get in the zone, AutoZone. We are straight out of Vegas. Back tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern time, 3 o'clock Pacific, right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! 